G'day, humans. I can't quite believe that I'd never met today's guest, John Safran. He's a, he's a, I was going to say he's a legend of Australian broadcasting, but that sort of, that gives him more gravitas and authority uh, than he would probably want to have. He's been a troublemaker, a bête noire, a young upstart for nigh on 50 years now. Well, he's almost 50, I suppose his career isn't, but he's the sort of guy who exploded onto the scene in Australia in his mid-twenties on a show in the 90s called Race Around the World, which I won't go into explaining because we talk about it in the interview. Uh, but it's a way. this is a way of understanding where he sits. He's always been on the periphery. He's always been on the outside. He's always been lobbing hand grenades at the powerful in Australia and around the world. His new book is about a fascinating subject that I hadn't even heard about, which is the attempt by Philip Morris, the uh, the huge tobacco giant, to create a future beyond smoking for its tobacco products and the kind of weaselly corporatist way that they're doing that and the way that, that the public, including on the left, are so gullible when companies like Philip Morris do all the right things in terms of being politically correct and woke and being pro-LGBT, at the same time as they're shoving tobacco down the throats of <laughs> poor people, mostly people of colour around the world. Um, one way of getting an understanding of John is just to read the first few lines of his Wikipedia. I don't normally do this, but listen to this. John Michael Safran is an Australian radio personality, satirist, documentary maker and author, known for combining humour with religious, political and ethnic issues. Safran's known for his television stunts, which include placing a fatwa on Australian television host Rove McManus. He was sort of like the Jay Leno of Australia. Sneaking nine young men into an exclusive Melbourne nightclub by disguising them as members of the American band Slipknot and running through Jerusalem wearing nothing but the beanie and scarf of the St Kilda Football Club. So before there was Borat, before there was Ali G... There was John Safran on Australian television. He has a lot to say about a lot of things. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this chaotic conversation with John Safran. You seem like someone who, whose life maps perfectly, as does mine, onto the rise of uh, this thing we call the call the internet. What do you do? You follow influencers? Do you are you a social media person? Um, I've got a. I, I've had those companies. I think Cameo's the main one. But recently, oh. there's been another one uh, called Mimo, and they send me messages mm. wanting me to sign with them in the mm. capacity as an inter, as an interviewer. But I, I don't think it's good for my uh, personal brand. the fact that you have a personal brand means that you're perfect for cameo and mimo and bebo and fleebo and no i just it just there's just something about it that i don't i just don't reckon the average reader of a john safran book or the average viewer of a john safran music jamboree episode is going to be saying (laughs) oh okay 25 bucks if and John will wish me happy birthday. Like it just twenty five bucks. Don't shortchange yourself, John. Or whatever it is, it just whatever. Do you know what is. Kyle Sanderland's charges? What a thousand dollars on cameo. Yeah, but that, that, I'm not begrudging him because that just matches up with his 
him, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But I don't mean well, that in a moral what way. The, I, what I, was I, the I, next I, word there? You it matches up with his what? Oh, it's a bit like it's a bit like um what's his name? Uh Cartman from South Park yeah. can smoke marijuana, but Bart Simpson from The Simpsons can't. And it's just there's things that kind of map with your Right, personal brand. Maybe I've got to think yeah. of another word besides personal brand because it just sounds like I'm saying that in like some like cynical, cold, calculated way. Well, it, it also like... sounds to me it sounds to me like you're saying it as a euphemism for calling Kyle Sanderlands a dick. No, you know, no. It's like, of course he would charge a thousand dollars because he's no, a no, he's a no. fucktard. Like he is a no. selfish man. He has a brand, and then you're like, oh, well, hang on. His brand is that he's kind of. Uh, you know, aggressive or like big notes himself a lot. No, 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 no. I'm just now. I'm just revealing my interior monologue, and I'm superimposing <laughs> that onto you. You're a perfectly innocent bystander, John, and you yes. are being asked to account for things you didn't say, and may not even have thought that I've just created and placed in your in your mouth. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying. To, like, I'm trying to think of something I could do that. Is a bit. I, I guess my entire career is doing things that are a bit dodgy. But um, uh, yeah, like like I, I'm trying to think, what could I get away with, kind of advertising or something. Well, like cigarettes that. now, obviously. Yeah, cigarettes. You see, how how screwed is that? That I can actually, um, just for anyone listening in, because my book was about uh, investigating Philip Morris, the Melbro people. I thought it'd be fun for my photo shoots to wear like uh, uh, Melbro gear. Yeah. So I bought, I bought this really cool jacket, like racing jacket with Melbro on it mm. from Pakistan. In fact, I also got a cool Melbro top from the nineties. What else? I, I just, and you're talking just, about Marlboro, the cigarette brand. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there I was getting my photos taken like that because it just seemed cheeky and fun. And, and, um, what you're not meant to do. And then I found yeah. out, yeah, you're not meant to do it. And that's why <laughs> the age will not be running any of my photographs <laughs> of me in Melbro gear. And then, oh. and then the worst thing is that because I couldn't run it in my, those, they just had to get a file photo where my face was fatter than it is now. <laughs> so <laughs> that was like really unfair. <laughs> but yeah, so how, how, how twisted is that? I can advertise Melbro, but I mean, it's like really specific way. One, I'm not getting paid by them. But well, where can you? Where can you show those photos? Because because I, I, I put them on social. Is... I put them on social media. Right. Well, your... there you are. You're an influencer. I know. Like like your husband. I'm a mm. yeah. I'm a social influencer. So I can. Uh, yeah, I put those up. It just feels yeah. like cheeky and fun, and uh, I, and I haven't I haven't really got in trouble. Uh, besides, yeah, I got in practical trouble for it. Like they couldn't run it, but. So far, public health organisations, you know, the, the, the kind of influencers that are on uh, Twitter and stuff, they're still backing me. <laughs> Bless they you. Think, what is that, think, COVID? Think have, that... You got, have you got the Rona? Are you coming down with something? Well, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, like, leak to that straight away. The, as, yeah. my, as much as I uh, trust getting uh, diagnosed over the internet, well, I just, and partner, I can't even see you. partner of a social media influencer, I think. <laughs> a pro-vaccine social media influencer, shall I say, who has had sure. to endure some ignominy from his peers about his controversial pro-science stance. 
I did a video for uh, for Jews. I'm a I'm a Jew for Jews getting the vaccine, yeah. but I, I really only did it because they asked me, and I happened to think of like a funny idea. So, oh yeah, <laughs> but that's okay, isn't it? But like, who's what is? Is there an organization called Jews for Vaccines or something? No, no, no. Just a general. Um, just a general. If you're a Jew, get vaxxed. Yeah, the, yeah. There's just like a Jewish organization. You know, the one, the one you hear about on, in, in ironically, in those anti-vaxxer pages and posts about. <laughs> yeah, right. And the secret Jewish organization that the is the one like, that controls the media. Yeah, and is forcing you to get vaccines or whatever. Mm. That they, they also that they contacted me maniacally right, and said, yeah. um, "Can you help us in our plot?" To, uh, to inject the world with Bill Gates and George Soros micro, DNA. microchip and stuff, and I said uh, yes. Good for the, you. Um, uh, so I did. So yeah, I am, the more and... I think about it, the more I realise I am a social media influencer. Although I don't know how many Jews actually got injected because I because I recommended it. Well, anyway, there must have on. been there must have been a couple. There would have been a yeah. couple, I reckon. But yeah. then, yeah, when you say Jews, it's so. My, I mean, my dad's Jewish, not religiously, and my yeah. my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Um, so ethnically, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you say I'm a Jew, is yeah. that a little bit more provocative than saying I'm Jewish? Um, I don't know. I heard I, I heard Billy Crystal talk about that decades ago like way before everything had become sensitive and woke so it must you might might be hitting on something because yeah I, I saw this thing where billy crystal was going don't say jew say a jewish person or something like that right and um but like was he, was he taking the piss out of that or was he serious no 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 he was being serious for some reason the yeah, and um not like billy crystal i say i get in trouble i don't get in trouble because like what like, but I say I like to say Jewess as well, which is like a real antiquated. <laughs> and occasionally, I've never really got in trouble because Jews just—I I, just—I don't understand how much you have to explain these days. Where, like, if you say something cheeky and and you well, don't everything. Even, I mean, you have to. Exp- I mean, some people want you to explain absolutely. Like, everything. like, what's the? Jo- I don't even. Sometimes I say stuff. And I'm yeah. I'm saying it because I think it's funny, and people find yeah. it funny, but I don't exactly know why. So why do why when I say Jewess, is that funny? I don't know. I guess it's because it is. You're being a bit inappropriate because you're well, me- you're, me- you're, me- you're meant to these days. Not really. I think it's but- the specificity of it. I think it's the it's the old it's the old schooly specificity of it. There's something. Yeah, it's about... like saying Mah- it's like saying Muhammadan instead of Muslim or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I want. I once had Waleed Ali on my radio show. Yeah. And I called him a Mohammedan. I introduced him as that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you'll get cancelled for that at some stage. No, yeah, there's like this line or whatever. Like, because why is it? It is. It's it's kind of making, it's making fun of the fact that like the the language or something or the way I don't even well, know Well, do you remember did, did it make news here when in about 2015 Stephen Colbert who still had the Colbert Report at the time right. and John Stewart was still on the air uh got into trouble because uh Dan Snyder who was the head of the uh the Redskins football team there was there's been a yeah. push to you know have them renamed because it's offensive to Native Americans and he said, "Look, I'm not racist against Native Americans. I'm establishing this charity for Native to fund Native American education. So why would I do yep. that? And I'm also not going to change the team's name." Yep. So Colbert went on the air, 
and said, I have been sometimes accused of being racist towards Asian people. And he showed clips of him doing this kind of uh, sort of old schooly 1920s, like Ching Chong Chinaman type act uh, on his show. And he said, I'm clearly not racist. And to prove it, I am hereby announcing the set the establishment of the Stephen Colbert Foundation for Ching Chong Ding Dongs or Orientals or whatever, oh, yeah. or something like that. That was the joke. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was a joke and, making fun of. Yeah, and yeah. he was making fun clearly of he was satirizing the insincerity of another person's anti-racist uh, self uh, self identification, and. Yeah. A certain cohort of what would now be called woke and at the time was just called uh, confusingly hysterical uh, Asian American activists uh, called for the cancellation of the show. And at the time I got ensnared in that whole thing because I was on the air in the States on HuffPost Live and I interviewed the woman who was spearheading this campaign. I say woman, she was like a 22-year-old Korean-American activist who lived with her parents. But um, I was not particularly sympathetic to her point of view and that went that alone went viral and got me in all sorts of trouble. And that was sort of the first shot across the bow of like the culture wars as, as, or of my involvement in, in the culture wars in some way. And what I thought was funny about Colbert's line is the use of the word Orientals. Like Orientals for me is a bit like Jewess. It's a word that is in, is just on the border of being inappropriate. We're not entirely sure why. And it has something to do with the fact that only, so only an old timey person would use such a word and it's just not what we call that that uh that community anymore yeah yeah so maybe That's i get maybe, maybe i just get away with jewess being a jew or something yeah well maybe. maybe partly but also it may be that in 20 years time people you'll be getting cancelled for this conversation now like what if you called someone a negress what if you called uh someone of african descent a negress oh yeah i'm trying i'm trying to think i think maybe even in my um, uh, heyday. Maybe I would have. Maybe some alarm bells would have gone off about that. You never know, or whatever. The uh, what you, was yeah, you never what know. was your what was your compulsion originally, John, when you were starting out? And we can get back to this is where we sort of pivot to the to the life story and youth story of Mr. John Safran. But for people who might be listening to us outside of Australia or who might not know you, give us a, a sense of how you exploded onto into public attention in the 90s and what you'd been up to before that? Uh, well, I guess it all starts in grade three when I realise I have a... Well, I don't even realise. I just have a creative impulse and I, I want to do something. But I just go to an, an ordinary, you know, primary school and th- then over primary school and high school <laughs> and, get, and then getting into uni, I just... I'm like I'm just sort of like poking around trying to figure out how to quench this creative desire. And I try everything. Like you know, when I'm a little kid, I'm trying to draw. I can't draw. Um, <laughs> I put together school plays in grade five. Mm. Um, form a band in high school, a hip hop band. Hip hop. Yeah, I was. It was called Raspberry Cordial. I was. <laughs> I was MC. What was your best um, song? I, I'm taking full advantage of the fact that back then everything wasn't uploaded onto yeah. YouTube. Oh my God! Can you imagine? But, uh, yeah, it's just there was a combination. I don't really there were, there were songs that were like funny, which 
I mean, there's lines in it that make me cringe, but overall it's okay. Um, like Mel- there was one called Melbourne Tram about catching a tram mm. in the morning. At 7 o'clock in the morning, I fall out of bed, get my school bag together to the tram stop ahead. I arrive. Back then, like, we weren't into Wait, that. Wait, don't stop. I want to hear the song. Um, I arrive at the stop, a quarter to eight. No surprises. The tram is late. Oh, my God. If it gets, gets cringier, like, cringier? <laughs> it's, like, it's like once something's dead, it can't be more dead. But for some reason, I feel like this can get more cringy than now. So I feel like I should pull the tram brakes, the brakes on the tram. I want your foot firmly on the tram accelerator, my friend, or is it a foot or it's probably a handle? I want okay, you pushing fine. that Let's lever. Say, um, when it, no surprise the tram is late. I can't recall that ever once being on time. The tram would be put in jail if being late was a crime. I'm, I'm goddamn very young at the time I'm writing this. Uh, wow. 20 minutes later, the tram comes at last, but it doesn't stop to let me on. It just rattles past. To make sure the next one stops, I lie down across the track. Uh... I mean, it wouldn't run me over, would it? Urgh, splat. So that's the end of like the first. Okay. The first. Well, I like uh, where I like where bars, it ended up. I like, it was very uh, it was very innocent to begin with and very straightforward, and then it got macabre. Uh, oh, yes, the end. I like that. So that's okay. But I also did a few sincere songs. They don't really, they don't age well. <laughs> the sincere right. ones, I like. Um, but, uh, um, um. Any, anyway, so. I was just Wait, doing you all were, that. It just sounded like you were about to give me a sincere one, and then then you backed out. Then, uh, so I just did things like that. I, but I was even doing things like auditioning uh, to do some like comedy things, like on Hey Hate Saturday when they had like a call out to audience. Like I was always like just trying to find some space, or yeah, where, and I couldn't quite figure out what I, what it was or whatever. And did you have then, heroes then, then, at the time? Like when you were going on Hey Hey at Saturday, was which, by the way, if you don't remember it or you're not an Australian, was a, a weekly sort of. When I say I went on that, show, I mean like I, when, when I say I went on that, I'm saying like when I was, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen, and they put a call out. Hey, we're going to be at this shopping centre for the great yeah, Aussie right. joke. For the great <laughs> Aussie joke. So if you've got a joke, yeah. come on down. That's what I mean when I. Yeah, like, no, I did. I went and I did an auditioning. Like, I, I, I did that when they were like, they were, they were like, it was. I think it must have been Hey Hey. They were like, we're going to have a, an impression uh, competition at Darling Harbour, and I went mm. down and I did an impression uh, of uh, Phil Donahue uh, for oh, when yeah. I was probably like you know fourteen or something on Hey Hey. Yeah, that would have got laughs. You don't realize uh, yeah, you're I didn't 14, but, but the oldies are laughing at you just for being 14 and trying. Yeah, that's right. That's right. For thinking that you can do a Phil Donahue impression. I was actually doing an impression of, uh, who was the great SNL impersonator who did Clinton and, uh, I, don't know. Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, he did a great impression of Phil Donahue, and like like everyone who's fourteen trying to do impressions, you're basically doing an impression of an impressionist who you saw do a great impression. Uh, yeah. So I was just copying him. But what what I was asking you about with Hey Hey was at this time when you're trying to find some space in the universe for little John Safran to express his John Safranness to the cosmos. Are you um, looking towards grown ups who have careers? That inspire you, like was Daryl uh, yeah. Summers I mean, someone I who obsessed. you wanted to be? I don't know if I wanted to be for like I, like I was still plodding around. So, but I don't, like there's there's people I like, but I I, I think what, what, as soon as I was in high school, I think I, I even though I I like comedy and wanted 
to make it part of the work. I, I, I never really wanted to be like a straight comedian. Like, for instance, I've right. never done, besides the great Aussie joke on Hey Hey, I've never like done stand up or whatever. There was always like, I was always looking at things that had more of a, like a twist in the tail, if you want it. Not that like, like comedy's cool or whatever. Like I, when I was in grade five or whatever, I discovered Weird Al Yankovic. So that, that of mm. course changed my life. Then inspired I, you to become a hip hop, a macabre hip hop artist. Well, yeah, I, I did a, I did a few parody songs myself, but uh, then can we hear one? And then, of the then I was into, was, I was, uh, I was, can, in, can I was you give in, me an insight into into any of the parody songs? Well, I did like losing my pigeon to losing my religion. Pigeon, yeah, pigeon, pigeon, right. <laughs> Just someone stuttering. Don't worry about like you. You got to like edit things out of the life story of anyone, right? So like we don't we don't need a sort of like an episode of when what's his name the guy who does those uh, like this is your life series right? No, yeah, Ryan Murphy where, it, where, oh. where right does like the Betty Gable story or whatever. Then they have yeah. to leave some stuff on the cutting room floor. No, so I'm, when I'm fully Ryan aware Murphy of that, does I... my. <laughs> My goddamn anthology. When it when it's the season is John Safran, they're gonna they're still gonna have to leave some things on the cutting room floor. John, so my John little Safran, one, like stop telling, stop telling Ryan Murphy what he can and can't put in your own life story. Some things yeah, no one wants. I'm telling you, it's floor. gonna be a everyone, low rating episode. Everyone wants losing my pigeon. That's the bit you keep. <laughs> you don't keep all the rest. You you do an entire anthology about losing my pigeon. So yeah, I was into comedy, but. And me and my friends were obsessed with the D Generation, uh, which who were uh, this comedy troupe that were on morning radio at the time, and they went on to be the like the working dog people and the panel people, like Santo Chilaro and uh, Tom Gleisner, Rob Sitch, Jane yeah, Kennedy, all, all those Nick guys. Yeah, they so me and my friends were obsessed with them and would turn up like when comedians. they did because they broadcast out of Melbourne. So if they did an outside broadcast, me and my friends would wag high school and go there and just i was into all this like me and my friends were obsessed with monty python and just so just the usual stuff and and then but then when i discovered hip-hop that's when like it really gelled because you were able to do funny things but there was a sting in the tail and you're allowed to like weave in and out of well it's funny but it's also got this other layer to it or it's got this other layer to it and it's 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 also funny so but then, anyway, so there's just that. Then uh, I left after high school. I did started studying journalism, so I guess that's writing. And then I was also doing a, a copywriting course at night. Uh, and then I got a job in an ad agency as a copywriter. So I left uh, the the journalism course. Then, okay, now we're finally getting to something anyone would be interested in. Maybe <laughs> is that uh, ABC put out. Uh, and this is like 1997, uh, they, they put out an ad on the TV saying, oh, we need eight young people who've never been on TV before or been in the media. We want to send them around the world separately and they have to send back a documentary every uh, 10 days on this show called Race Around the World. And I'd never thought about doing a documentary before or even being on TV before that much, you know, like even though despite what you might think because of my um, great Aussie joke appearance on Hey Hey Mm. Saturday, it wasn't really a particular desire of mine, but I just, I just uh, put in a submission for that. Just like I tried out 
things in grade three or whatever. It was just like, okay, I'll, I'll have a go at this or whatever. Then I got on the show. Then I got into my groove and then that became my shtick. The shtick. Yeah. Thing. I mean, you, you just glossed over that. Like it was just another thing in your life, but, but the, for people who don't remember, I mean, I was in my teens at the time and that, sh- yeah, I guess you were in your mid twenties when you got, when you yeah. got that. And, and it was yeah, a early twenties. It was a phenomenon. I mean, it, it was a huge, I was trying to explain it. I was trying to remember what the show actually was and explain it to my partner last night. But I mean, it, so was the, a, it captivated the country. Yeah. So the the context is that, oh, back in, that, back in those days, like <laughs> TV was much more official. And uh, like, for instance, you had good lighting on TV shows. So this thing that we've just kind of adapted to now where, our eyes are adapted to, oh, someone can shoot something on their phones or now phones are becoming really good cameras or whatever. But remember that kind of in between time, <laughs> you know, like, like if, if someone like caught something in the real world and it's just on their crappy um, handy cam or something like that, like it, that, that used to not be TV. TV used yeah. to be things have to be well lit. People have to be attractive. Well, also, the people who you saw on TV, yeah, as you say, yeah. not just attractive, right. but but they were experienced. I mean, they were gatekeepers of television. There was no, and, that, and they were kind of like right. and they were all you know people who had dedicated their lives to the craft of broadcasting. And here was a show where young young little Jewish whippersnappers like yourself were just roaming around the world with a handy cam, sending back these electrifying mini documentaries. Yeah, so even even the whole thing that we we luckily had the first generation of cameras that had ever come out that had a flip screen where you could turn it and therefore hold it and shoot this video diary. Like before mm. that, you'd have to set up, up, up on a tripod and do it. It was the first like selfie, essentially. Yeah, it was the first selfie. And so people were even like blown away by that. Like you'd be sitting at home watching your TV and there's there was like a little bit of the internet, but not too much and definitely not social media or YouTube or anything like that. And so... People were just like blown away that like, what's this badly lit thing where this guy's squeezing his nose and squeaking into, like, it just seemed really odd and unusual. And, and was I, the I point, guess, was the I point guess the other that, con- that voters voted, that, that viewers voted on whose documentaries were the remember. best? How did you, how did you, did you win? I can't or how- remember. Okay, I can't don't worry, sorry, finish, finish whatever thought you were on path to finish. The, uh, the other context, is, and this is relevant to me or whatever, because what, what I did, I knew I wanted to do something a bit quirky and fun. But I hadn't quite landed on what exactly that was. So my first couple of episodes were uh, the first couple of like f- four minute videos because like yeah, it was like four or five minutes. You have to submit every ten days from, and you're in a different country each time. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And then then I got to the Ivory Coast, like by about this was about story three or four, and I'd broken up with. And my girlfriend, and it had really been heartbreaking. And uh, I had a letter from her and I had a photo from her. And so I did this uh, thing that starts off like it's going to be a conventional National Geographic thing of like you're exploring another interesting culture and I'm going to look into voodooism. And I did that, but I did it through the, I did it through the lens of I'm bitter and twisted because I've just broken up with a girlfriend and I've got a love letter. And I've got her photos and I'm going to go around to voodoo doctors around the Ivory Mm. Coast in West Africa and try to have a voodoo curse uh, put on her. And and through that, learn this other culture and and, and their ritual, their their unexpected ritual compared to. uh, And and as soon as I did that, I was like, this is it. 
this is like somehow all those years of trying to figure out where my place in the universe was. It's this is it. This this it being I'm exploring something that's worth exploring on some like regular journalistic level and uh but I'm in a self-aware way making it all about me because <laughs> you're not meant you're not meant to but the audience is kind of aware that I'm aware if you know what I mean so so it, it's it's not like classic straight line narcissism and I'd say it's even the opposite it's kind of acknowledging that you're never the you're never a, a fly on the wall when you're a journalist you're never like some independent uh, hmm. Got some bird's eye view or whatever. Like you're you're bringing it's a, your own it's a life. little bit like using the word Jewess. Yeah, maybe. like it's you know well <laughs> in the sense that it's self that it's self aware. Yeah, it's self aware, you know, but every, it's also I think I would say it's humble because be, I would say it's humble. I tell you why because you are acknowledging that what you're doing is not yeah is not this sort of impartial. Yeah. journalism where you're telling the whole truth and oh, oh you're, you're you're seeing every angle you're, you're saying no no this is my eyes coming into this or whatever anyway so so it was like investigating something making it personal and making it a bit funny and inappropriate because i, I mean that was the other layer to it where if uh you know back then at least it's like oh, oh no if you go to another culture like you should be like very you know um quiet and reverential mm. and sort of like ex- almost like examine them <laughs> as if it's like some kind of zoo or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and whilst I'm just like clomping around with me being me, but anyway, so I broke up with my girlfriend. So I wonder what you thought. And okay. So then, <laughs> but then the other, so the other context that's important to know is this was, this was like before Chaser, before Ali G or Borat. And so, that was another like weird thing about my little things. Like people were going like, what's the reference to this? Like, yeah. So, so it wasn't like if you watch something now and you go, oh, I get what he's doing. He's doing that thing mm. that all those people do or whatever. And the reason I luckily had that in my arsenal, cause I, I, I wasn't really, not at all. I don't really like pranking or things like that, but very luckily when I was, when I was in first year uni and I, I was like obsessed with finding out about like different countercultural movements uh, just cause, I don't know. I went to a, like a really mm. religious Jewish school and before there was the internet. So therefore when I kind of got into first year uni, I was like, I just went crazy. I was like, Oh, I want to know about this and that and that and that. And uh, one of the things I learned about was this group called the yippies, not the hippies or the yuppies, but the yippies who right. I think like maybe very early seventies, was it even late sixties? I don't know, but around there, and they were like this movement of, uh, and one of their like figureheads was this guy called Abby Hoffman, and he'd written mm. this book. He'd written a book called "Steal This Book." So you walk into a bookshop, and there's a book, and it's called "Steal This Book." <laughs> it's like, well, hang on, what am, I, what am I meant to do with that, right? But he he'd do these. He was a bit of an activist, and he'd do these. I guess what now would be these sort of like trolling exercises. That, that and where everything is a bit ambiguous and it's got social commentary, but it's not really hectoring and it's not really like wagging your finger and it's also like a bit hard to pin down exactly what the social activism is, I guess. So, yeah. for instance, one thing I heard about him is because he was against the war, uh, like the Vietnam War, and so he organized um, holding hands around the Pentagon 
uh, to try to levitate the Pentagon. <laughs> so it was kind of like <laughs> stuff like that. So he was. But, it's funny you mentioned Borat because you know he was played by Sacha Baron Cohen in the. There was a. Um, a movie oh, last yeah. year called The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which was written oh, yeah, by with Aaron Abby Sorkin. Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, a good and point. Abby yeah. Hoffman was the was one of the protagonists in that, and Sasha Baron Cohen played him. Yeah, so and then and through that, I'd kind of learned about there was this countercultural thing of social justice, kind of, or not social justice, but having some meaning. Usually, there was usually a lot of meaning about around mob mentality, and. Uh, and that, that that sort of like was the subtext of a particular, uh, you know, a prank or what, what? What do they call them on YouTube now? Because they're not they're not well, funny. <laughs> a social I mean, experiment, a, uh, yeah, social, social experiment. experiment. And yeah, also, it uh, it, it'd be different if it was like, oh, they're not funny, but they're trying to sort of like posh them up a bit. Like, oh, it's not a prank; it's a social experiment. That's mm. why I'm um, throwing slime on this these people. The um, that's why I'm throwing slime on these paid actors who I'm pretending are real people down the street. The, um, so anyway, so then when I was like, overseas and I had to like pull a rabbit out of the hat, for some reason I remembered this. Even though I like right. like when I was reading the stuff about the yippies, it wasn't like it wasn't like oh my god, these are my people, or it wasn't like I particularly bonded or whatever. I just kind of remembered it, and I also remember around the same time I there was. Uh, I went on a holiday with some friends and they were like friends of friends there, whatever. And there was this guy who would always be pulling these pranks. And I just found it very interesting. I was going, mm. and, and, and back then there was like a prank was just considered very lowbrow. It wasn't like now where you can shush it up or whatever. And anyway, so when I was overseas, that, that all kind of conflated in my head together. And I was like, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to do this kind of yippee, like my friend on the holiday thing where I do this thing. And it's really uncomfortable. I'm not really like enjoying it that much. And I, but I'm immersed. I'm, I'm immersed in something, and I guess there's a bit of complication to it. Because on the one hand, it's cool. I'm immersing myself in somewhere. Like I'm not looking at people like they're in the zoo, and I'm somehow, you know, the outsider or whatever. But then there's the other side to it of like, you know, John, is it really appropriate of you getting baptized? Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, a... the answer in 2021 would be no. I mean, all of those things would have caused a national furor if they were done today. Uh, Essen. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I mean, it's, it's a really, it's really hard to sort of do that sort of time travel thing or whatever. Well, given uh, given the smallest slights that people uh, people oh, yeah, say, given true. given that you know, given that cultural appropriation is you know a, yeah. a, a sin for which you can have your entire career derailed, uh, mm-hmm. for you to be parachuting into foreign cultures and uh, and screwing around with them and and not showing them the appropriate reverence That's... that a white colonialist Jew probably should, uh, would land differently. I'm not saying that today's. Oh no, I reckon. Is no, no, I no, 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 no. You see, this is what I reckon I do, and I probably will do it today, like with my next book or whatever, like that. I'd probably try to examine that notion or whatever. Uh, yeah, and and, and I, yeah. I kind of I did even did it in my last book, except I didn't explain it well enough, so I, I want to give it another go, or whatever. Uh, where, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty rich. Uh, I mean, there's so it, much. Considering 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 what the world has kind of culturally appropriated from Jewish people, and when I talk about that, I'm talking about real big ticket items like uh, the Quran. And the New Testament, like both, how how much more important and culturally influenced influencing are things like the Quran and the New Testament, right? 
And both of those culturally appropriate from the Jewish Torah. You know, they just take mm. stories from it. And so anyway, so well, I mean, every, every, and, and, so in that, in that, con- in, yeah. in that context, I find it a bit, it's like, and people will go, oh, that's like some, like, oh, that's somehow an example you're giving that's not relevant to the conversation. Or it's like, why? How, how is not the fact that the, these two really important books that influence the world, the New Testament and the Quran, and that they culturally appropriated, <laughs> to use that expression, um, the Torah, the Jewish book. How is that not a good example of, obviously, this is a very complicated issue that it's a bit rich to kind of just have some glib, like one sentence answer of, oh, you shouldn't culturally appropriate. because mm, Well, yeah. I mean, glib is all we do these days, <laughs> John, it seems. Like, I mean, yeah. cultural appropriation, the whole conversation around that is 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 intentionally sort of glib and parochial and insular because from a from a broader perspective everything that progressive people value about life is uh, fueled by some form of cultural appropriation we love multiculturalism and we love you know the richness of for example the way that indians speak english and their and their unique words that they've pilfered from here and there the kinds of cross blending of cuisines that has created all of the world's greatest cooking and stuff like all of the, the it's the it's the exciting mishmash of and the collision well, I, I, I'd of even, human experience I'd, I'd, that yeah yeah makes i'd kind life of rich I'd take it in a slightly different way. I mean, what you're saying is true or whatever, but I, I'd, I'd kind of be a bit more, uh, what do you call it? A bit more kind of going up for the, going into battle or whatever like that, where you know how everyone thinks they don't have an accent and everyone else has an accent? Mm. So, mm. so It's like mm. everyone's got an accent. I don't have an accent or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I feel like uh, people don't know how much, their existence is cultural appropriation and yeah. they're, they're, they're aware of everyone. Like for instance, like if anyone's a hyphenated American, uh, like, well, you're speaking English. <laughs> and so when, when I say that, it's like that, uh, let me phrase that slightly differently. They're, they're already bending cultures, even if they're part of it. So for instance, if you're a, uh, like just say, just say who, who has the right to perform Milan that, uh, that Chinese uh, story or whatever. And already, if you're performing it in English, if you're like a Chinese uh, uh, American, you're performing it in English. And therefore, which is cool. Mm, (laughs) But mm. that's just like, you have an accent is what I'm saying. It's like, like you're you're, you're already already bending this thing that wasn't originally like that. Uh, Yeah. Which just, which is just, it's not like a big dramatic statement. It's just I'm just saying everyone's got an accent, and everyone's yes. and everyone is uh, engaged in cultural appropriation. I mean, it depends how far back you go. Like Kim Kardashian got in hot water for wearing her hair in braids because that's an African American thing, and she's pilfering African American culture. But the African Americans didn't invent hair braids. That came from like the Egyptians had hair braids, so the African Americans were culturally appropriating it from. The I guess, I guess my I guess my thing is more. I find it. If there's 200 countries on earth and I'm not sure why Americans get to make these rules. It's like, it's, it's, I know there's a real, a bit of a complex thought, but I feel like mm. these conversations are not American cultural imperialism, but kind of, it's like you have these yep. people in America and they set the scene of, and set the table for um, these issues where I, I want to hear, 
I want to hear what Romanians I want to hear what black Australians think I also want to hear what actual black Americans think uh, as well as black well, Australians yeah, as well I, as black I, Romanians because so much of this is driven I guess, I guess by my... a very small educated cohort of white uh, university educated elites yeah yeah I mean I'm not disagree. I, I, I guess what I I, I just I just find it weird that Americans just get to like, yeah, it's like I say, I want to hear what black Australians have to say (laughs) much more, you know, like than than Americans, like, and, and, and to give you like a, for instance of there's something here is that I I know these, uh, and I know there's been some, there there was tension one time when uh, it was probably like a couple of decades ago now where uh, these, uh, there's this a black American group, quite radical, called the Nation of Islam, and they came to Australia. Some of them as missionaries, this is, and they went to, this and is they Lewis went to Aborig- group. Yeah, and they went into like an, at least one Aboriginal community because this is where I heard the story. And it was like, oh well, you know, you should you know join us because we've got the same struggle. Da 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 da. And they just felt this was very foreign to them. <laughs> he, mm. he sort of mm. it's like this American thing was very foreign to them. And the, I mean, the the other thing I always think about is, long ago I saw this documentary about this uh, punk. Uh, uh, were they punk, or were they heavy metal? Oh, heavy metal maybe. And they were, uh, they were Pakistani Americans, and Muslim Americans, and they were in a a heavy metal band. And this was a couple of decades ago, and so it was closer to nine eleven. So things were a bit more with the whole Muslim thing was a bit more heated than maybe it is now or whatever. But anyway, so their whole shtick, well, not their whole shtick, but their angle was like, almost like we're not Americans. We're Pakistanis or we're Muslims or whatever. And we're in a heavy, heavy metal band. And that, that's how they kind of had this uh, in, internal perception of themselves. And, you know, we're, we're, the, we're Pakistani in this American world or whatever like that, in this American scene or whatever, this white scene or whatever. Cool, cool, cool. Fine, but anyway, at the end of the documentary, they go to Pakistan, you know, because they had, they, you know, they hadn't been there because they were like kids of, of immigrants or whatever. And then when they're in Pakistan, they're just being, they're just acting, and they're just being treated like any other loudmouth American who comes there. So <laughs> it's not like the Pakistani people there are like, oh, come, our brothers, come home. It's like they're just loudmouth Americans, yeah, yeah. clobbering around or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, no, those American, American, Americans never are really there, there seems to be not really a lot of acknowledgement from hyphenated americans that they're americans and that has some impact on things in their worldview in their culture and in i, I guess if it's if they're gonna if we're gonna live in a world about well who has the right to say this or that it's like well you're american like maybe 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 mm. maybe if we're gonna live in this world where it's like certain identities mean you can't say oh that you should be a bit more uh, apprehensive about just squawking maybe having americanness in you should be one of those identities well you know <laughs> where it's like well hang on i'm an american and we have cultural dominance around the world so maybe maybe uh, that should be in the mix when mm. you mean um, maybe we should tone down the thought policing of the rest of the world, like dragging the rest of the world into our own domestic culture wars and universalizing our experience as if it was global. No, well, no, just kind of being aware. It's like, it's like just I, I'm kind of like playing by the rules that are set out where it's like, well, if you've got this certain identity, 
or that identity, you should, um, you know, you should be kind of just not just not just blab all the time. You should understand that you're you're coming from a place of privilege. If you've got this identity, that identity, that identity, and I'd say, okay, cool. And let's add American to that. <laughs> it doesn't mean Americans shouldn't talk or whatever, but it's just like there should be some acknowledgement that, like, it uh, for decades, it's like it's been it's like a cultural steamroller around the world. Um, so, which is cool. Like they've won in the marketplace of ideas, and I obviously love American culture. But anyway, blah. Do you think, how, how do you, I mean? It's interesting. I love the point. It's interesting. How do you feel about the identity driven? nature of conversation the fact that you know well, for I the just two try of to, us white males, i try to do my own thing about... or whatever like because there's obviously truth in things so it's really hard to uh, my my book puff piece which is about how a uh, part of one of the three there's not like a big thing in the book or whatever but it's talking about how because philip morris and melbury people how they've managed to launch this new product to know apparent notice <laughs> let, let alone criticism and it's this new product and just i mean it's it's not it's not a vape it's this thing that's a cigarette but they've rebranded it as not a cigarette and it's been like they've managed to weave around the ban on menthol cigarettes in europe by launching this thing it's got a heat stick <laughs> which is tobacco rolled in paper with a filter at one end that you plant between your lips, inhaling nicotine and tobacco into your lungs, and then exhaling this thing that kind of looks a lot like smoke and has smoke constituents in it. Anyway, wow. but regardless, like I, I'm talking about, like why, why is this thing that's really consequential? Because it was the beginning of the end for Philip Morris across Europe. The menthol cigarettes last year were banned, and this, and the European Parliament was going to go on presumably to ban all cigarettes. And so this was really the beginning and the end of this huge, uh, the world's largest tobacco cigarette company, right? And then they come up with this cheeky little clever way of, of just rewording things and changing a few things around the edges, around the uh, how you produce a cigarette. And they get around it. So menthol cigarettes are banned across Europe, but menthol heat sticks aren't. And so... Their, their game can go on where, you know, at the moment, 8 million people die a year of cigarette-related injuries or yes, Yeah, cigarette-related injuries, the word. <laughs> cigarette-related <laughs> yeah, causes. Um, that's out of 50, 52 million people die of everything around the world and out of that 8 million of them are cigarettes, right? Anyway, so they managed to grab victory from the jaws of defeat, Philip Morris, and there's not like... Not only is there not a book written about it besides mine, there's not like an article written about it. There's not, it's isn't like they've somehow done this incredible thing. There's not a tweet about it. And anyway, my point being is I, I, I'm starting to look in my book, I look into, well, why is this? Why did, why did Philip Morris just get away with this incredibly great ruse that no one noticed? And part of what it was is that Philip Morris awoke and <laughs> they, they, they avoid avoid um, standing. Uh, I, I think by luck, there's a bit of luck to it, and but they avoid stepping on these cultural landmines that are likely to draw attention. And those things around identity politics, for instance. So you know, like they they do things. I've got an in-house LGBT unit. They uh, they even supported the pull down of their American chapter. Supported the pulling down of Confederate statues during Black Lives Matter. They frame things in 
the, the, the language of today. And because they do that, and because that's the only framework where uh, some young people see the world of, and that means that a company can do something as problematic <laughs> as insanely sort of like something worthy of examination by social justice types, which is the continuation of the death of 8 million people a year. Mm. And, and it's but kind wait, of escapes it escapes it, 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 it escapes it, 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 John about 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 that what? point because can I just ask you about the point of the deadliness of these heat sticks isn't part isn't Philip Morris's claim that the the carcinogens are in the combustible okay, we can talk about and... that no no I, okay let's talk about that but can I just close off this point because the, the, yeah, yeah. I already barely make sense when I'm staying <laughs> on one track. But I, so my, so anyway, so a point I bring up in the book, and it's not like a big point or whatever, but it is, it's like Philip Morris have avoided these cultural landmines that are going to get you cancelled. And so they can continue, yeah. not only can they continue this practice, but their practice isn't something that's going to be um, particularly noticed by, like, like I talk in the book that if a Philip Morris executive was caught uh, posting online them uh, shooting a lion you know, on an African safari, yeah, yeah, like that would be a, that would be a absolutely. nightmare and they, they might lose their job, but they can be an executive in complicit in the death of 8 million people a year. Yeah, <laughs> and somehow yeah. that sort of like avoids it. But then I also, uh, oh, and there's another ironic layer to this is because actually, <laughs> if you think black lives matter, the, uh, the like cigarette companies, and these, this is like the, one of these things where there's just different ways to look at it, but, uh, like, uh, for instance, in New Zealand, amongst the indigenous community there, they're uh, uh, 30% more likely to smoke. Or is it 30 I don't know. It might even be three times as likely. Sorry, I think it might be even three times as likely to smoke. Anyway, regardless of what it is, it's like the, it, the smoking rate and thus the rate of indigenous people dying of cancer is at such a higher rate in a place like New Zealand. And I understand, like the smoking rate amongst Indigenous Australians is up. So, so it's 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 sort of like it is on a deeper level, on a less surface veneer level. It is actually you, you can pretty easily uh, cobble together a case that mm. Philip Morris is anti-black, and uh, oh, and also uh, 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 according to the British government, because they looked into this, I, I think the LGBT community smokes at a much higher rate. Than the non-LGBT community, so 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 it is ironically, despite what I've just said, like if, if you would, <laughs> they're not woke. They're not woke on it. If you think um, uh, uh, giving Indigenous people cancer is 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 unwoke, <laughs> then Philip Morris actually are unwoke. Okay, so this now now let's jump. Let's draw a line under that and get into. I'm going to loop back to that, but let's. But yes, in this big arcing circle, let's just address the elephant in the room about vaping being better for you than smoking. Well, you see, you, you've like um, this isn't a vape, so already this like what you've said there just demonstrates how brilliant Philip Morris are at muddling things. So it's hard to yeah. So clarify jump, it for jump, us: what's a heat stick? What's a vape? What's a cigarette? Okay, so. Uh, a cigarette ha- has uh, tobacco leaf, tobacco leaf, and that's infused. That's with nicotine, and nicotine naturally occurs in 
tobacco leaf. And when you light a cigarette, it generates tar uh, through, uh, and so you're in, uh, and that, and the tar generated by this tobacco leaf, that's the deadly thing in a cigarette. Then you've got, okay, so is that, that makes sense? Yep, totally. Yep. So then you've got vaping, and with vaping, uh, you're, you're heating up a liquid and the liquid has nicotine because you can, you can extract nicotine from tobacco. So you can have nicotine without the tobacco, if you know what I mean. So yeah. in, in a, in this little, in a vape, you're, you're heating up this liquid that contains nicotine, propylene glycerol, uh, flavorings and other ingredients and agents, but it doesn't contain uh, tobacco leaf. So therefore, because a vape doesn't contain tobacco leaf, it doesn't generate tar. So therefore, a vapor could say, and it's right, that the most deadly thing in a cigarette, the tar, isn't in a vape. Mm. But then it becomes this other matter of you still are inhaling things into your body, into your respiratory system, and whether they're a danger, even a very, very dire danger, that's sort of like, separate to the danger of um you're inhaling tar because you're not inhaling tar yeah. but anyway and you're not inhaling of... any any burnt particles because there's no combustion going on you're not in, inhaling the fragments of microscopic ash that come off burning something with a flame then we get to the heat stick which is this is so what we just talked about there was vaping and that's that, that's very distinct to this thing called a heat stick so a heat stick is looks just like a cigarette because it's got to, it's tobacco rolled in paper with a filter at one end, and you uh, and I, I guess the salient point is that they uh, contain tobacco leaf, unlike a vape, but like a cigarette. So therefore, they generate tar. Therefore, the the thing that's most deadly in a cigarette is also in a heat stick. What do they uh, do? And how so do that, I that, use that, them? How do I smoke? How do I consume? So this is this is what they, they play this great game of misdirection. So this is what they'd say: if uh, they'd say that um, a cigarette you light with a lighter, and that when it catches a light, a cigarette, it it goes through this process called combustion, and they say they the combustion is what creates the smoke. And the smoke that goes into your body is what's uh, deadly in a cigarette. And they, so their, their case is, is what they say, and then I'll do the fact check afterwards. They say, uh, with this heat stick, you, you, you put it into this device, and it looks a bit like an astronaut's pen or something. It looks kind of cool. And, uh, and then what happens is you press this button, and it heats up this tobacco. So it heats the tobacco to an incredible degree. But they say it never actually catches a light. Therefore, it doesn't combust. And because it doesn't combust, it doesn't generate uh, smoke. Therefore, what you're inhaling isn't smoke. Therefore, and usually they don't say this directly. They just let, let you <laughs> come to this conclusion yourself. They say, therefore, it's a, a less risk, a less risky uh, version of a cigarette because you're not inhaling smoke. Right. I, I can't, I, already there's like 17 misdirections going on in there. Uh, so uh, I, I'll give you a couple of them. One is I looked into 
what makes a cigarette like work. And, and these according to the American Medical Association. And when you light a cigarette with a lighter, it actually starts generating smoke, not when, not when it catches a light and starts to combust. It actually starts generating smoke, these in a traditional cigarette, when it's heated to an incredible degree mm. and it becomes so high, hot and there's this little process before combustions called pyrolysis. And that's when, that's when the smoke starts generating. So even on that level, Philip Morris has claimed that, <laughs> oh, hang on, we've got this new thing and it doesn't catch fire and therefore it doesn't combust, therefore it's not generating smoke. Doesn't that doesn't even quite map or scan because because in a traditional cigarette you don't um, according to scientists and it's, and it's mainstream science it is. I it mean, is anyone the, who's lit a cigar knows that uh, that the cigar begins to smoke before it begins to combust. Yeah, I mean, and so then on top of that, th- so there's this discharge which they claim isn't smoke because it hasn't been uh, generated by, by fire. By fire, which is already yeah. like, as I said, said it's already like fudgy, fudgy there. But when you dig into their, because even though they try to hold their cards close to their chest, because they need to get this approved by government bodies, um, they have to put it in like mountains and mountains of paperwork, obviously. And there they often have to tell the truth, or there's at least enough truth in there. And they just, but they just want to, they want to have like two stories going, like what they tell the public and then what they need to say to get to get their yeah. product approved. And if you dig deep enough into that, you find out that they they do acknowledge that there's smoke toxicants in this, in this discharge, which they claim isn't smoke. They just their argument is that there's not enough of it to for it to be classified as smoke by the definition of smoke, which they've made <laughs> right. up. You know what I mean? So, yeah, right. so there's right. all that crazy. Right. But here's like one of the real two big massive misdirections and they're so they're they're so clever at making you not look at what you should be looking at because even even what i've just explained now i've explained it in a very different way to how philip morris does because all they they talk about this device this sort of astronaut's pen that i was talking about that heats up the the heat stick and they just concentrate on this and they just pitch this it's like oh we've got this new device it's called an icos uh, iqos and you know it's like nothing before because it heats, it doesn't light, blah blah blah. It's got a light, and blah. and but this is like this is their first act of misdirection because they don't they want you to concentrate on this because if you look at the heat stick, the thing you slide into it, you as soon as you look at that, you go, hang on, that just looks like a cigarette. So they're doing everything. The, the actual launch is a misdirection of trying to make you look at this device instead, and then they kind of. Exp- they they're very quiet about the heat. Like they go, they go, oh, it, it, it heats up, it heats up. You put in this little tobacco unit. They they come on. They use the term right. tobacco unit, and they try to make out like it's like this little side point, like yeah, right. as, as as opposed to it's the point. So and so that's this, that's uh, they've sort of got. It's like they've got a turd, but they've put it in a little miniature Tesla, and they want everyone yes. to look at the cool Tesla and ignore <laughs> yeah, exactly. the turd sitting inside. Yeah, exactly. So it's like already. How insane is that? That the actual product launch is a misdirection of not not making you look at. Look at the thing, the thing that they're, that they're actually inside. launching. That's sort of like the yeah. That, that's actually the salient point. And so, so do you how... buy the refills for the heat sticks from Philip Morris as well? And do you is it is it one yeah. use and then you throw it away? So you're basically yeah. buying packets of quasi cigarettes that need this thing to go in them. You can't use a real yeah. cigarette in in the heat stick 
No. Canister? Right. No. So, so yeah, I mean, that's another reason why they do that, why they want that. But anyway, so there's that. But get this, this is even a bigger ingenious misdirection. This is how smart they are. And I only picked this up, like I'd already handed in two drafts of my book to the publisher. And then I'm like driving on going, God damn, they've got me again or whatever. And this is how they got me again. And luckily I got to write the third draft is, so Philip Morris does this whole thing about how they're looking to a smoke-free future. And the reason they say that is because they claim this device doesn't generate smoke, which it does, but let's pretend, let's pretend it doesn't, right? And, and their argument is that the reason why you should trust us and we're moving away from cigarettes and we're, we're now a health enterprise is because, you see, the, the thing that kills you in a cigarette is the smoke and this doesn't generate smoke. Let's, let's, let's pretend that's the truth. It doesn't generate smoke, right? Let's go along with their reality, right? So I'm driving along and I'm going, hang on, that's both true and also a massive misdirection at the same time because what it is is what kills you in a cigarette is smoke, but more specifically what kills you in a cigarette is the tar in the smoke. So therefore the question isn't, oh, does this new heat stick generate smoke? It's The question is, does this new heat stick generate tar? And Mm. so let's go along with their reality of like this doesn't generate smoke. It's like, well, who cares if it's generating the tar that is the reason a cigarette's uh, deadly in the first place and yes this does generate tar so like they're they're just so brilliant at these uh misdirections and of course the other thing is where people get people like to go on these conversations about and uh like oh is this but isn't anything better than a cigarette and and isn't it like got lower carcinogens or something like that or and and everything they say by the way is like you've got to be really it's usually very tricky. So, but, but even if you took them at face value, again, very late on when I was writing this book, I, I was thinking to myself, well, why do people hate cigarettes? It's like, oh, it's because they give you cancer. And so really the only question to Philip Morris that's relevant with this new product, it's not like, is this smoke? Is this tar? Is, mm. is, this, is this a cigarette? Or does this have lower carcinogen? Or what, whatever it is, really the only question that's relevant is, Will this give me cancer, or or will this not give me cancer? Yeah, in the yeah. way your Melbourne cigarettes give me cancer. And I got onto a, a science Zoom with them, and I asked the question, and because no one's interested in this topic for whatever reason, I you know I could go to these, I could get my question answered because no one else is asking really asking questions, mm. and. I got them for the first time because I guess they didn't really think it through the consequence of answering this question because no one's asked them before. And I did, I said, I said, will this give me, I asked the question, well, I even framed it the way I just framed it to you. I wasn't tricky. I said, the reason people hate cigarettes is because they give you cancer. Will this not give me cancer? The same cancer, like a Melbourne world, whatever. And, and the woman from Philip Morris starts off with a lot of, oh, we found that there's 95% less this and that, blah, 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 blah. And then, but then she wraps it up by going, when it comes to your specific question of how this affects cancer, uh, we haven't done research into that. You know, mm. like the research. Well, they can't. So they, I mean, for a start, they can't because it takes decades to show up. I mean, you, you need you need human trials to last over a generation in order to know. Man, the I can't really, believe no. I can't believe that's your outtake on this. Is like <laughs> like Philip Morris uh, under. 
poor Philip Morris, that's not little what I'm David saying. against Goliath John Safran, is like, <laughs> it's because they're so ethical. Philip Morris don't want to make a call on whether this product gives them cancer that's because they want, to, they want, they want to cross, dot their I's and cross their T's and make sure what they're saying is very truthful after, you know, after, you know doing years and years of research. No, no but... I mean the the thing about cigarettes is is also not just cancer. It's it's I mean it's that it gives you massively higher risk of heart disease and of all and of stroke and of a whole bunch of other things which seem to be related to your lungs being unable to to uh, get oxygen into your system as effectively as they otherwise would. And you would imagine that your lungs being coated in tar would impede all of those processes uh, pretty badly yeah. even if there is no combustible material. But I'm just making the point that, of course, you're not going to get a straight answer out of a multinational corporation that's been hiding behind, uh, the, you know, the behind manufactured uncertainty for generations because they're able what? to manufacture the same uncertainty right here until we've had guinea pigs, human guinea pigs, roll it out in their real lives. Where is the, Where are these well, things can, allowed? Uh, so they're, they're forbidden in Australia... But I've got one because I'm edgy and yeah. I bought an illegal one. <laughs> right. So so if suddenly you hear sirens and my door being yeah. broken down, it's because yeah. the cops are coming in because I've got my illegal like, ICOS. Where's and the stick, illegal Jew which, with his stash of... Which I bought with a, from the boot. Price. I didn't like order it from overseas. That would have been like not very dynamic for a book. Mm. I, I, I got it in a car park at really? night in, Don, in Doncaster, Melbourne, out of the boot of oh. a car from this dude who imported them. I think every couple of months he went to Japan and he uh, came back with a suitcase filled with ICOSs, that's the heating device, and mm. heat sticks. But, so where um, are these things being used? Well, that they're legal in across Europe because that's how they weaseled or weaseled, <laughs> weaved, weaveled. That's weaveled, <laughs> the com- weevil combination of weaving and being a weasel, a weevil. <laughs> by weaveling around the laws there, that they've been um, permitted in America by their, and, uh, and so this has all happened invisibly in, in, because our eyes haven't been on it. And so much works in Philip Morris's favor. I, 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 my only conclusion is that God really likes Philip Morris because like, for instance, (laughs) in America, because kids were dying and others were ending up in hospital because they were inhaling black market vape juice. Yeah. And so you, I'm sure lots of people listening remember that. They go, well, that was a big news story. Like, you know, it's like, so there's a lot of eyes on vaping. And, but what, just unbelievable. I can't believe their luck. So whilst all eyes are on that, like in America, the Federal Drug Administration in America permitted uh, the uh, this, the heat stick and the ICOS. And so that's, and, and they've already started building dedicated stores to sell this and no one's noticed even though like there's, there's all this, that should be something totally examined and constant. And it's like, it's even on the, on the level of, well, hang on, if you're worried about vaping, mm. God damn it, you should be worried about it's this. It's like, it's like whether you're worried about vaping or not worried about vaping, you should be worried about this. And, and it isn't. And also there's, it has, there's, there's lots of little stings in the tail and tangles. Like for instance, at the moment, the, the U.S. government or so branches of the U.S. government, the Federal Drug Administration is looking at whether to really crack down on vaping. And in some in, in America, in some ways, that's going to serve Philip Morris's purposes, because it's like they've got into the castle and now they're drawing, you know, with their ICOS yeah. and heat stick. And now it's yeah. like the drawbridge is going up again. So and it, it's a very tangled thing that's hard to 
give a simple story. Because, for instance, Philip Morris in America or their parent company is invested in a vape company there uh, called Juul. But I would say my op-ed is when push comes to shove, ultimately Philip Morris, uh, their future, they see their future in tobacco. And so things like the ICOS and the heat stick, which we've been talking about, that's really what their future is. And them dabbling into vaping as pure vaping is more a, they're a huge behemoth with all these different, you know, people doing different things or whatever. So yeah, of course I've got their fingers in vaping a little bit or whatever, but ultimately, ultimately they would want vaping's their competitor. And like their dream has come true in Japan. In Japan, vaping is forbidden, but these heat sticks and ICOS are permitted. And that's really, yeah. So the reason Philip Morris would want to, pardon? What's the thinking behind that? Well, there's different laws in different countries. So one thing that's like, just, just shows how brilliant and entangled Philip Morris is, is um, in some countries, they essentially argue, of course I'm simplifying this, but they essentially argue that seeing cigarettes are legal, how can this not be legal right. because it's so similar to a cigarette? And right. <laughs> they go, and that's their argument. That's an argument they made in Australia. They, uh, it didn't work or whatever, but where, where, so, so, so when they were trying to get this mm. introduced in Australia, it wasn't like, Hey, vaping and this should be introduced. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. It was like, this is heated tobacco. It's tobacco and you, and tobacco is already legal. And then they, then they have this tangled argument where they're, they're like, how can you ethically, approve cigarettes mm. but not yeah. this when we say this is a, how can you live well, with yourself australian at, government at the, risk of, when, at the when, risk of yet again sounding like a shill for philip morris they've got a point yeah. a logical point there right i mean you, you if, well no 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 this is where they don't have a lot no 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 regulatory approval no 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 this is they don't have a logical point there i'd say they'd have a an arguable point if they, if they were trying to get a vape approved, this isn't a vape; it's a cigarette. So their whole thing of like, right? But cigarettes is... are legal. Ah, oh, cigarettes are legal. So why? Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. That's what I'm saying. If, like, if you, that, if they have saying... a logical point that to, to say that if you want to, if if the, if this category of product should be illegal, then outlaw cigarettes. And if you're not going to yeah. outlaw cigarettes, no. then for the sake of consistency, you have to approve this product. Well, as well. okay. Well, yeah, I, that's true. That's one way of looking at. It. Another way of looking at though is that. Uh, when cigarettes were approved, was a different. It's basically the horse has bolted. So cigarettes yeah, exactly. are are yeah. approved, and if but if a cigarette was introduced today, they wouldn't be approved. And in fact, now we have the perfect test case to do that with the heat stick, which is <laughs> yeah. a cigarette being introduced today. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's as hypocritical. Like, like, I, it definitely can be seen as that. Like, like, it makes sense what your argument is. John, I want to, I want to loop back to the bigger question that you raised yes. that, that I said we'd come back to about the sort of corporate hypocrisy in in presenting themselves as good corporate citizens at the same time yeah. as they are not only unleashing this product which they know is going to kill people or they strongly suspect, but they're also doing it in such a way that overwhelmingly targets disadvantaged people, people of color, uh, first nations, people, and, and so on, because those people smoke more than the white liberal elites who congratulate corporations on their work policies do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned LGBT people. There was also, it amused me like this past pride. I saw a comparison of the, uh, the social media, 
front pages of a bunch of corporations, which on Pride in like the United States and Australia and Europe all had like rainbow flags and everything. And then you look at the pages in Middle Eastern countries of the same corporations and they're completely silent about Pride, of course, just showing up the total cynicism and hypocrisy. Like if you care about gay rights, then you should promote gay rights to people who don't care about gay rights, not to the populations that you know are already on board. If you're actually taking a stand and then sticking up for something, then stick up for it where it hurts, not where it only advantages your bottom line. And similarly, I mean, Apple, have you, do you know Antonio Garcia Martinez, who he's a... He wrote a book called Chaos Monkeys. He was a a Facebook executive and he got hired by Apple earlier this year. And then uh, a campaign, he was was basically cancelled and fired from Apple because someone excerpted a paragraph from his Chaos Monkeys, which was a memoir about his time at Facebook and in Silicon Valley, which was a kind of overblown satire of Silicon Valley. I, I'm only talking about him because he reminds me a bit of you just in, in terms of being a, a, an independent thinker, someone who doesn't follow the rules, someone who doesn't care about what other people, you know, fitting into the box that other people have set up for them. And he had a passage in this book that was sort of snide about Silicon Valley women and saying that like, there's this kind of sort of power hungry, trashy type of female in Silicon Valley. Uh, and that was regarded as being anti-feminist and so there was a big campaign by apple employees that misogyny you know sexism is not welcome here and so on so he was fired as an apple executive basically before his tenure had even begun and his point was this is a company that employs massive like slave labor across china putting together these devices that doesn't give a shit about human rights wherever it encounters them and it feels good about itself because it can't, it can't take a joke and doesn't understand the satirical point that I was making in a novel that was slightly edgy and sexist. And I wonder whether you have thoughts about this disparity between the our kind of public fixation on doing the right thing as it is defined by the, the current cultural consensus and turning a blind eye to the actual ills that corporations are unleashing on us. Oh, yeah. No, no. I cover that in Puff Piece where... Like one of the, the the internal journeys I go on is at the start of the book, and this was all sincere. I I, I was like, oh, everyone's going to get the groove of this book. It's sort of isn't it? It's a thing like you're you know people would see me as progressive, I guess, and and so it's like oh, and you're little David going against Goliath or whatever. And then then I kind of it it, it kind of I learn that that's a bit of a bygone era that's like, that's like a generation x thing the, the, the whole thing of corporations are, are something you should be very skeptical of is uh like that was when i was young that was it but sort of like the backdrop to the world has moved on and obviously all these things like i i kind of have to overstate my case to sort of make my point obviously you know there's so many little currents and counter currents floating around so in some ways you know there are progressive people who are criticizing corporations or whatever so i'm sort of but but in a kind of a a larger sense i I think part of the reason is i mean you sort of touch on it there i think or whatever is that for my generation generation x when we were growing up like corporations were just seen as in this overgeneralized way were seen as unprogressive they're seen as right wing i guess even (laughs) and they're seen as uh even sort of like a bit sort of like Christian maybe or something like, like I was seen as this, they were sort of like seen as that. And it was like, 
even if you're a good company, you were a bad company. <laughs> and so well, they were part of an institutional power structure that was yeah. avaricious and only interested in itself and was would, was willing to fuck over anybody. Just like and, and also and and, and generally gen- generally their values were like the way they promoted themselves was uh, even if it was implicit rather than explicit was very conservative values. So like ads on TV would show uh, traditional nuclear families, for instance. They would, uh, uh, and yeah, it was like they were conserv they were conservative outlets in how they Mm. presented themselves. Well, their center of gravity was center of gravity. So 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 their the way they presented themselves were like family values and patriotic and things like that. And so it would have been like totally contentious to not present yourself that way. Anyway, so so anyway, but the backdrop to the world has changed. So now the way that the world's biggest companies present themselves aren't that way uh, for whatever reason and for better maybe, but, but regardless. So yeah, you have like Google and Apple and they're, they're like these big powerful companies and they will, uh, you know, promote kind of like have a progressive veneer and it, it must've worked to a certain extent. Cause I feel like compared to when I was growing up, progressive aren't as instantly kind of like cynical and about, companies like 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 they were uh Mm. like they were and i think it is partially because like it's worked it's like why would you be cynical about companies when companies you know are fighting (laughs) are fighting the good fight which i guess they are in some ways but it's just well they're not fighting it if they're not putting the good fight to any anywhere where it actually needs to be put you know as per my analogy but i I guess i guess uh, i I guess in my i guess the way i look at that is that's why you should be skeptical for your own sense of personal zen because you're just going to be so disappointed. <laughs> once you, yeah. once, once, and and once, who could once. be surprised by being disappointed? That's what amazes me. It's that people are surprised that corporations are only looking after their bottom line. Like, how would you? Why would you applaud a company for firing a satirist for writing a funny passage as if that's noble of the company to stand up against sexism? Like, I think everybody at Apple and Facebook now is on board that racism is bad and sexism is bad. Like, we get that. Why would you be such a rube that you would be gullible enough to think that the executives are feeding you the manure that they're feeding you because they really, really care about these issues? That's what I don't I don't get. There's a certain credulity sort of in, in modern performative progressivism. I, I mean, I, I guess it's also, it, it's really hard to get your bearings on what's online in a bubble and what's the wider world thinking, if you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure. So I, I think I, it's so vastly I, blown up. What what I mean, I think the things that are taking place online are now having real world consequences that far outstrip their popularity amongst real people. We're all being Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is so like I imagine people, I mean, there might be a bit simpler why people go along with things. It's like just the path of least resistance. And it's, you know, so, mm. um, but, but it, it, it is interesting because as, as an artist who puts myself out there, like you do really have to think about like, well, what, what, what's the hill I'm meant to die on? What, what hill am I meant to die on? And that's like way narrower, even for someone like me. But I, I guess I was always a bit contained in what, like, I, like for instance, for instance, I just like, for instance, wouldn't be like, I, 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 I'd find it really hard, even like Yonks, even do like partisan politics or something like that. Like mm. it just wasn't my jam. It's like, no, no, that's okay for someone else to do, but I'm actually more interested in your religion or I'm interested in, these other hypocrisies or whatever like that. So, but yeah, you definitely recalibrate or so I re and it's like, well, what, what's the hill I'm, I'm willing to die on. And so there still are some 
hills I'm willing to die on. And d- what are you those? do find, pardon? What are oh, those hills I, like, you're willing to die on? Oh, just, de- uh, I'm not willing to go along with anti-Semitism just because uh, certain people have figured out a woke framing for it. Um, so I'm just not willing to go along with it. And uh, I've, I've even got in trouble for that because I'm just meant to go along with it. I'm meant to go along with, uh, but why? And, and I just feel a personal responsibility because in the context of Australia, uh, like there might, there might be a lot of Jews blabbering in America and the media, but not in Australia. And so yeah. I just feel like I can't, first of all, it's annoying. And then, um, then on top of that, I just feel like, who am I? <laughs> and also I just feel like you, I have a responsibility. What do you mean by anti-Semitism? Where does that show up in your world? The, like, for instance, so, so the two places it shows up on is if you're very clever and you don't like Jews, uh, what you, you recast them as not being Jews, but as being white people. And then you act really cute and as if there's no, there's no particular history to Jewish people and there's no particular heat to uh, attacking Jews. And, and you're just, you're almost just framing it as well. Yeah, well, well, no, that's not the like. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dodging around giving examples in in the world, but like, like but, but like, for instance, it, would, it would clarify things. Yeah, sure. So, for instance, I, I was told I actually cover this in Puff Piece, believe it or not. And so, I, yeah, why don't I just tell the story in Puff Piece? So, I was at this anti-Nazi rally in Melbourne, and this person, like a lefty social justice type, was writing about me, and he said. Uh, anti-racism doesn't need any more white people to speak on its behalf. So they had problematized, <laughs> to use their right. language, me as a Jew, being at an anti-Nazi rally. <laughs> so, and the, anyway, so then then I was mm. like, oh, that's a bit strange or whatever. And I and, and at the same rally, there was like a similar thing. So like these two things that were kind of similar happened. Anyway, when I get back home, I'm, I'm like looking at this guy's, I'm going, who's this guy telling me like, that it's problematic for a Jew to fight Nazis. And, <laughs> and then I look up and I see he's got a track record of, for better or worse, of like he's got issues with Jewish people, like and for all sorts of reasons, like he's against Israel. And let's not get into that or whatever, because it's, it's not about whether he's right or, or whatever. It's more about the technique he's using. And he's uh, against, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he's just had these other kind of issues with Jewish people. And I was going, oh, that's interesting. So... Because there's still a lot, a bit of heat in attacking Jews, it's like he's reframed Jews as white people to sort of make that a smoother passage. Because obviously, if he said, "What's this Jew doing here at this yeah, rally?" Yeah, like yeah. it'd just be, "What the hell?" And yeah. anyway, so then, so that happened, and then I noticed that was this recurring technique of uh, across the world now of when you had held uh, like pretty toxic. It, assuming you weren't right wing, if you're like left wing or if you were like a Muslim or whatever, like, the, and you're, and you're very attuned to how to get things done in the, in the modern world is you cast, you, you soak up, you erase the fact that Jews are Jews and just uh, act really cute and just call them white people. <laughs> and then, mm. and then think you can get away with anything because it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm punching up. Or, or, right. or that kind and of also thing. they're colonizers too so you know you mentioned israel but i've i've definitely heard a lot of that i was a prominent a very prominent uh australian uh radio personality i was i was 
with this person and uh, some news came through about Israel firing on people in Gaza or something and um, this person spat out with such vitriol, fucking Zionists, with a passion that was, I mean... was not... I mean, I felt bad for the people in Gaza as well, and I have all of the, my yeah. own issues with with Israel. And but that's not the point. The point is that that country's misdeeds have become a proxy for people to feel passionately against um, the. Uh, there's been a collapse or a conflation of one uh, really problematic country's really problematic policies with the kind of in instinctive punching up fighting on behalf of the little guy anti-colonial anti-zionist and well, now anti-jew sure. anti-jew okay. yeah yeah okay yeah no, no but i mean just i mean obviously it's like such a complex thing to get into so that like the two things i'd say is that yeah it's complicated and so i'm not really like I'm not going as narrow as that as saying, oh, but, oh, oh my God, it's all a trick if someone's criticizing the Israeli government. It's actually a proxy for whatever. No, like, I'm not, no, I'm not nor am I. But, but no. I don't, no, let me get, so what I am saying is, yeah, it's complicated, but then I'd add the extra layer of like, everything's complicated. <laughs> and somehow the left manages <laughs> right. not to, uh, you know, the left manages not to kind of conflate. And in fact, they fight against it correctly. You know, they correctly, like if if if, some, if, uh, if uh, anyone from another minority is involved in anything, they go, whoa, 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 hold our horses, right? Okay, so this bad thing happened. This person you mean if there's, some... a, if there's like a jihadist terrorist attack, then they're quite yeah, good but at no, not no, 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 that, that they, and, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or anything, anything with any minority or whatever, because um, they, uh, yeah, they correctly kind of go, well, let's hold our horses or whatever. So... So it, so it's not it's not it's not novel or it's not like unusual that it's like oh my god there's <laughs> there's I I just can't I I just can't not be an anti semite because <laughs> there's, there's this going on and but I don't find anyone anyway, my my point my point being is that um in, in fact that what you said about the Jews in Israel makes it even more so for me that um. If you're on the left, or uh, or if you're in a, a Muslim, let's just talk about Australia. If you're Australian Muslim or Australian on the left, the fact that you have such heated issues about uh, Jews being in Israel that makes it even the more screwed up. If you try that on in another country that's not Israel, no, no, no. you don't get to kind of go well. Oh, Jews are just white, so therefore they're also a problem in Australia as white, like that, that's got a lot of, you, you can't, you can't erase the specific, the specific nature and the specific history of the Jews. And also the specific relationship that both the left and the Muslims communities can have with you. You can't erase that and just kind of go, Oh, I'm just going to shit on Jews and I'm going to change the word Jew to white and therefore right. get away with it. I mean, to get, and if you think this is tangled and complicated, probably the, is the best way to, I can say it, that maybe a lefty listening could understand is like, imagine if someone was said to uh, uh, some Aboriginal people in Australia that were of fairer skin and said, well, no, no, you're just white. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to treat you. And my discussion about you and your place in Australia and in the world is going to be through the lens of you. I know you think, this aborigin aboriginal stuff is important or whatever but no you're white like a lefty would never do not only would ne not a lefty do that but 
like Andrew Bolt, this arch conservative in Australia, who the left hates. The main reason they hate him, the starting point is that was his argument. You know what I mean? So mm. what I'm saying is it my contention is, and I'm is you do, the the specific history, including the specific recent history of Jewish people, is so specific. It's as specific as Aboriginality in a, in a different way that that it's just screwed up to the extreme. <laughs> it's as screwed up to the extreme to evaporate and erase uh, Jewish identity. <laughs> you were just white, and got, you know that's as screwed up. As saying that to a fair-skinned Aboriginal person, which I know mm. that's a very, uh, well, I don't think that's contentious at all, and and so mm. therefore, um, yeah, so so that that's a, that's an aspect of like where I just refuse to, like, keep my head down. Well, it's because also things, part like of you know what, do you know something that's happened recently in Melbourne is that uh, a, an Australian business run by a Jewish guy was vandalised uh, by presumed left-wing people, where. Uh, it was uh, said that oh, he's part of an international Zionist conspiracy because <laughs> whatever. So, <laughs> so, and the like. The left says no, it's it's so weird being a Jew even in Australia because if it gets this is how weird it is and how specific it is is if neo Nazis did exactly the same thing, put exactly the same posters up accusing mm. a local Jew of being part of an international Zionist conspiracy, then the left would all stand up for him. And go, my God, we've got this neo-Nazi problem in Australia. But then you can put up exactly the same posters from the left. And and so this isn't like a thought experiment. This happened in my hometown. And yeah. um and then this leading left-wing journal published an article explaining why vandalizing a Jewish business, <laughs> and of course they've fudged around the language a bit, is uh is not problematic for this. And I, I'm just like, nah, not going along with that. I don't care. And also mm. I, I kind of also find, I try to take advantage of the fact that I have a bit of capital because I've got a track mm. record. And so people are a bit, I do get away with a bit more, a get a bit more pushing back or whatever, because, and I, it's like, yep, I'm going to, I'll, I'll push back against that. No, I'm not going to go along with, it's okay to harass Jewish shop owners in, in my yeah. hometown. Yeah, and I, I I have paid for that by the way, where people are just really people do not like you bringing up. I did my last book about extremists in Australia. Like ninety five percent of the book is shtick, making fun of the far right and their Islamophobia, for instance, right? But but also it looked into the tangles of things, and so I talk about because it's fascinating. I talk about uh, like Jewish people who kind of make these unwise you know, connections with the far right because they're like, oh, well, I don't like Muslims and they don't like Muslims. <laughs> so even though they also don't, even though they don't, they also don't like Jews, I'm going to link up yeah. with them. So it's kind of- Trust me, Adolf does not have your back. Yeah. And then then I, but my book also looked at, at the changing backdrop where like the Pauline Hansen scene has adapted to multiculturalism. <laughs> so, so just bizarrely you have people who would have been rejected by the Pauline Hansen crowd 20 years ago suddenly- for you know you've got you know you've got african australians and chinese australians and others that sort of involved in that movement often sometimes the reason for that is because they're evangelical christians and they don't like muslims and they're like mm. oh well pauline hansen also doesn't like muslims let's join up or whatever so, anyway so my book also did stick about that or whatever and then my b- book did look at uh, 
Muslim anti-Semitism in Australia, like, and just very lightly, very in a very coded way or whatever like that. People do not like that, man. Like people do not like that. And I've paid where like just the most, uh, like people out for vengeance. It's like, and I'm just like, well, okay, fine, go out for vengeance. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are the there are the sort of right kind of minorities and the wrong kind of minorities, and there's there's just there is a sense I think that you're backing the wrong horse if you're backing Jews, and you're backing the right horse in terms of backing the correct oppressed minority if you're backing Muslims. Um, oh yeah, but I, that's that's fine for them to think. I just cannot. I, I cannot l- believe. Let me, let me just let me just finish because yeah. it reminds me of what you were saying earlier, John, about the the. Uh, the lack of self-awareness of Americans imposing their culture war conversations on the rest of the world or having no uh, sort of self, uh, self-regard self for their own privileged status in guiding the global conversation. And similarly, there is a, there's a way that we are forced to understand Israel and Palestine that sort of uses the Jews as a proxy for all of the sins of white people over the centuries because they are the colonizers and the poor brown people are the oppressed. And that maps perfectly. It's sort of a key into the lock of our own collective guilt about what we've done to indigenous people and what we've done through British colonialism and and so on. And I think there's a parallel there that there's a, there's a similar kind of superimposition of a complicated situation in the Middle East onto an easy template that we understand in which the Jews are the aggressors and it kind of flattens or ignores or erases the 5,000 years of history. And so all of a sudden these, this community that has very, very, very long ties in this place is regarded as if it was the British empire coming into India. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus, like you bring up a, a least now I've only got five or 10 minutes left. So, so take that wherever you will. And if you want to say something else, oh, no, no. Well, rough, first then, of all, from my point of view, I, I started getting really furious with, uh, or animated by left-wing attitudes to Jews, not because of Israel, because, but rather because I went along with their reality where they said, because they'd assure us, they said, oh, there's nothing, everything about the Jews that we have a problem with is just got to do with the Israel-Palestine conflict, right? So I was like, oh, that's like a complicated conflict or whatever, but, you know, like, you know, okay, fine, you know, <laughs> kind of definitely like, it's it's not like I think someone's mad if they're kind of, their interpretation of that is, you know they they they're going to have a they they're going to protest or uh you know have issues and bring up things about the Israeli government or whatever right but then it was it was when it was when there was the gear shift and it was when I was doing my last book where I realized it's bullshit that that they like for instance this dude who's deliberately acting cute and obtuse and saying that it's problematic for Jews to be not only for Jews to be wherever they want to be in Melbourne, but specifically having such a toxic attitude to Jewish people that he's come up with this tangled bullshit that it's problematic for a Jew to be at an anti-Nazi rally protesting Nazis because he's white. I, and then and then when I kind of go online and see that this guy, oh, by the way, he's gone on to be a writer who writes about racism for SBS, by the way. And these people I'm oh. talking about, they're not like randoms on Twitter. They're yeah, like no, they're cultural tastemakers, yeah. cultural tastemakers. So and, and and when I saw that he was using Jewish whiteness to attack Jews in a, not in Israel, so Jewish whiteness to attack Jews in Australia, I was like, well, hang on. And then when, when then when I saw that he was reflecting a broader thing, 
among some aspects of the hard left. I was like, I oh, say so you're lying. So you were lying that whole time saying your problem with the Jews was about the Israel-Palestine thing because now you've got this new thing where Jews are a problem outside of Israel <laughs> for mm. things that have nothing to do with the Israel-Palestine conflict. So I was like, I was like really annoyed. And then, then, um, yeah, the, the, the kind of like anti-Semitism is so slippery, but only in a way that all, all racism is. So like, like to give you a, a comparison, you know, like when a black person says, uh, Hey, I was followed. I can't, I, I was followed, you know, through a shopping center because I'm black mm. or whatever. And people mm. are like, approve it. How do you know they didn't follow a white person before you? And mm. then it's like, and it's like, well, I guess how can you? <laughs> whatever. And then it's like, and, and then, it, but the black person would be going, listen, man, it's happened 50 times. So I know what the hell is going on. And like, uh, and, and so anti-Semitism is like, like that, is that like, it's so slippery and scummy. <laughs> and and, and like, 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 for instance, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong with this guy saying it's problematic for you as a white person to be at an anti-Nazi rally? Like, it's so slippery and scumbaggery. And right. it's really the parallels there. And people will find that contentious that I'm comparing those racisms. But I think in their slipperiness, and the way that no, they I operate—it's—it's the same thing. Because one other, yeah. One thing, one thing I've I've really learned uh, is be, be, because people like present their anti-Semitism like in a woke way, like oh, it's because you're white. <laughs> God knows, it. and 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 or, or it's always like this woke argument on things. But okay, fine. But this is what when you pull out the lens is that all race, most racist rhetoric is woke. Is always pitching itself as woke. Like when I was hanging out with these far right racists against Muslims, they all frame their their anti Islam in woke language. They say, "Oh, listen, they're sexist." Why, why? Like we're in a modern culture, and they're sexist. They put women in burqas. Like they, it's and and that's not just against racism against Muslims. It's uh, when they were lynching Black Americans. I, I wrote a book called Murder in Mississippi. Uh, set in Mississippi. There was a nonfiction about true crime and it was yeah. involved a white supremacist. So I got to look into the history of Mississippi and lynchings were pitched as woke back in the old days. They really were. It was like women shouldn't have to suffer uh, uh, being sexually harassed uh, by, by black men and these black people are sexually harassing women at a higher rate. Like this is bullshit, by the way. But this, this, um, what I'm saying is they were pitching lynching as being woke as being mm. feminine mm. as the lynchings were hashtag believe all women and and so all racism a racist rhetoric bends into like i'm doing this for a social justice reason i've been right i've been i'm forced to uh be against muslims in australia and to want to stop muslim immigration because i care so much about uh burkas or, or, or like women not being or even, even saying I, I care so much about jews and i know they're racist against jews or mm. i care so much about they throw gay people off buildings well, exactly or, like, that's like, what or, i was going to say that you but, 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 but like, so you, they all they all homophobic or, pastors being islamophobic because they're supposedly sticking up for the gays being thrown off buildings yeah by so ISIS. with that backdrop it's like yeah i get it you're you're doing what all assholes do when they try to demonize the others and uh, yeah, blah. 
It's very interesting, John. You're uh what do you think where do you think all this goes? Where do you think we end up with all this? Not specifically the anti-Semitism question, but all of the roiling culture war attentions that we have been talking about. Because on some days I wake up optimistic and I think, as you sort of alluded to earlier, that this is just a storm in a teacup on Twitter and I should just shut down my Twitter and I'll be a happier person. And then other times I think that the fabric of liberal democracy and this, the consensus that we've established over, since the Enlightenment is coming apart and we're all just going to end up in... Well, I, I've, I, I've no answer to that, but I do have, but I have an answer to that. So my answer, my answer to that is that we're never at the end of history. And at every moment, we always think that this is like, this is the world forever. And it never is. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but like just the realities of the world that have changed in my lifetime is like the gear shifts have been incredible. And so I I find it very difficult to believe that we're at the end of history and with the way the world is perceived, Mm. man. All right. On that for on that on that note, full of foreboding and portent, uh, yes. I will uh, I will I will crown you as the loveliest Jewess in Australia. And thank, thank you, you uh, John. The the new book, chill the new book for a moment, so people can jump on to oh, puff uh, piece. To and by the way, it's really hilarious. Amazon. Puff piece. It's like a hilarious adventure. It's not like this. Uh, it, it's me kind of getting into deep, trying to. Um, you know, discover all this stuff about Philip Morris, the Melbourne people. It's called Puff Peace, how Philip Morris set vaping alike, light, and burnt down the English language. But, you know, just Puff Peace, that's the big thing on the cover. Good it's on hilarious. you, John. You're hilarious. a national treasure. Audio Thanks book. Thanks for Thank being you. with us. Great to talk to you. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.